this left us an opportunity that maybe we could plug in some places that we hadn't ever thought of before. That was very fascinating. I said, to see it all take shape and the volunteers had helped. I always had volunteers. They were there. I always remember Jerry Baker. He was always ready to help. I'll be there, and he was. Everybody pitched in. And it was just exciting to see as it grew from a few, it got more and more just like Jesus feeding the 5,000. And it was exciting to see that. Yeah, it's exciting to see, to see it take place. It continues to grow fantastically. If you think about it, it's amazing. There's some good people going there. You know, really sincere people. And I like the way you, um, if somebody is sick, how you treat them. They take care of a lot of us uh, that are old and getting feeble a little bit, but uh, yeah, we always know we've got somebody that's looking after us too. Not only, not only God, but also our ministers and so forth. And that, that's a good feeling. That's a very good feeling. Well, they're a very caring church. Uh, after I had my surgeries, they um, have got many, many cards, calls, and calls from the pastor. And we, I appreciated that tremendously. It was really uplifting to know that there were people that really did care. And I've been so glad and blessed to be a part of all that through these years. I just hope it keeps growing. I hope it continues as it is that our grand great-grandchild will be able to reap some of the benefits of this church, that he'll be able to, um, he'll continue on, that he will be able to attend the Bible schools, the Sunday schools, and all the other thing, activities that there are, and as he grows up, uh, the youth programs. Well, obviously, I want to continue to see it develop, grow, be a witness to the world. one of those vignettes uh, every week during this core value series, um, always looking back, always remembering or realizing what God's doing, and always looking forward to what God has in store for us and through us. Today, we're going to be uh, looking, <clears throat> beginning a series, excuse me, first service I had to yell. Um, in that room, uh, it was simulcast, but in the middle of uh, the message, all the power went out in the whole building. And so this was, that's why I'm, I'm explaining why my voice is the way to, but the whole, the whole service was me doing, turning my flashlight to me so that people could see me. Um, they probably would have been better off if I hadn't. Um, but. The, we're, we're, we're starting core values, and the core values that they're they're what they're how we make decisions. They're the things we're not willing to compromise. Uh, these core values have been true since the beginning of this church. We've just articulated them a little bit differently just in the last four years. So today we're going to be looking at the core value of empowerment. Now, I won't be preaching on our text of the core value. We'll be preaching from John chapter 9. But I, I, and what we're going to do is I'm going to explain, I'm going to read the core value 
try to give you an idea of how to look at this text, and then we'll preach through the text, and then I'll loop back to uh, challenge you with how you might see God's work in others. The empowerment, now it's a buzzword. I know corp, corporate world always has new cool buzzwords, you know, onboarding, which means you're hiring someone and trying to get them part of the, the system, changing the cultures, changing the game. All that stuff's good stuff. But empowerment's kind of one of those buzzwords, but we define it this way. We believe that God wants to work in you. If God has his hand in your life, we believe that God knows better than we do, and we will trust the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. Our job is to come alongside and be a part of what God is already doing. Now, this passage we're going to look at is, is the opposite of that. So sometimes the best way to learn something is to see its antagonist in action. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to put yourself in the story. Often when I read devotionally, I like to look at, at, at like there's this, this passage that says, um, you are to bear one another's burdens. And I'm all, always looking at that going, okay, how, who's got a burden that I can bear? How can I help? But sometimes if I put myself on the other side of that, it's, sometimes I need my burdens borne by others. So typically when I look at a passage like this, I want to look at the hero, Jesus. I want to look at the victim and the person that, that received something from God. And, and okay, how have I been like this person? How have I been like this person? But I almost never want to put myself in the, there's the hero, there's the victim, and there's the villain. And I almost never want to put myself in the context of the villain. So I'm going to ask you to look, when you hear these three types of characters, Jesus the man born blind, and the Pharisees, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself when you've been one, when you've been the other, and even when you've been the last one. Because it's clear that God wanted to do something and these people didn't want to see it. So to have this idea in our head, John 3.35 says, and this is how they will know you're my disciples. By how you judge one another, by how you condemn others that aren't like you? No. This is how they will know you're my disciples, that you love one another. See, the duty, the call, what it means to be a Christian in interaction with other people, there's the interaction with God and there's the interaction with others. It's a picture of the cross, vertical and horizontal. It's also a picture of the Ten Commandments. The first three are between us and God. The fourth is us in creation. And, and, and five, five through the rest, of the, you know, honor your father and your mother. Number five, you never mess with number five. But all the rest are our relationship with other people. So God has always wanted us to be in relationship with himself, with the creation, and with those around us. So the duty, the call on how we interact with other people is always not, it's always to care, not to condemn. It's always to lift up, not to beat down. It's always to empower, not to judge. This passage reads like this. As he went along, meaning Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Rabbi, this man, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, we, we hear that and we go, really? I mean, but look, if you get a disease, if you have a car accident, if, if something tragic happens to you, you will almost certainly go to that place and say, what did I do that God would allow this to happen to me? Am I being punished for something? Is there something that I'm not learning that he wants me to learn? Or the alternative is get really mad at God 
because he didn't look out for you and he did something. Those are really the two primary responses to tragic events in our lives. So we don't believe in our heads that God would punish someone at birth and that he either sinned or his parents sinned, but that is very much the cultural belief then. If you are rich and of girth back then, you were blessed by God. If you had a disease, if you had, if a child was born uh, with some kind of uh, abnormality, some kind of uh, disability, it was the parents who had sinned and God is punishing the parents by punishing a child. Now think about the weird view of God that that would be. That God would punish an innocent child because of something I've done. But that is what they thought. These disciples, they've not been walking with Jesus for a couple of weeks. This is John 9. I mean, we are six months to a year and a half into his ministry at this point. And the disciples are still saying, they meet a man born blind and the disciples say, Lord, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now that's in John and I know we're not going through the whole book of John right now, but there's this perpetual back and forth between darkness and light, darkness and light, darkness and light. And Jesus here claims, calls out, he says, ego a me, I am, that's claiming to be God, the light of the world. Now, what he's about to do with this man is not only give him light to see, he's born blind. This is not like the, the man who had, uh, that we talked about in, <clears throat> in Mark with the, the healing at, the, at Bethesda, um, or Bethsaida, uh, where he, he had seen before because when Jesus spits on him and he, he says, do you see anything? He says, I see people, they look like trees walking around. That guy had some concept of what shapes were, what people were supposed to look like. He had seen light before, he'd seen color before, he'd seen shapes before. This man has never once seen light. This man has lived perpetually, visually in darkness. This man has no idea what his parents look like. This man does not know what blue is. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed. Then I could see. Where is this man? I, I don't know. All right. Sometimes we are so familiar with the story. I'm not saying that everyone here is, but if you grew up in church, you've seen pictures of this on felt boards. That's awesome. I mean, that's the reason we do vacation Bible school. It's the reason we do Sunday school. It's the reason we, we have children's Bibles. We teach children and we give them visual, relational, emotional, and spiritual reminders. 
But sometimes we're so familiar with the story that we forget the human side of it. Imagine yourself blind. Now, I don't know if you did this in high school or college where Disability Awareness Week or something like that, where you were blinded for a day and you had to follow someone around or just sometime. And we were in Hungary a couple of weeks ago in the middle of the night. I went up my head because I'm 51 and sometimes you have to stand up in the middle of the night and go purge your body of things it doesn't need. I bumped into the door because it was dark. I didn't know where I was. Boom. Bless God. There was a time when Lynn and I went to Georgia, and I stood up in the middle of the night. I know this place. I've been going to this place since I was a child. And I stood up, and I, in the middle of the night, I'm running around. I'm kicking this door, this doorstop thing. I'm over by the room. She goes, what are you doing? I'm trying to find the bathroom, which is three feet from the bed. I was blind, but not really. This man has never seen a shape. And someone, he, he comes in contact with someone who spits on the ground, makes mud, puts it in his eyes, kind of gross, and says, go to this pool and wash. And the guy does everything he says, and now he can see. And his people start going, and it's a, it's a fair question. How'd that happen? Uh, guy they call Jesus, this is what he did, this is what he told me to do, now I see. Well, where is he? I, I don't know. He's just testifying to all that he knows. They brought, the, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he'd received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed. Now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Now, let's just pause here for a second. At this point, it's just a theological debate. It's healthy. I wish more often in, 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 in the church and in civics and in our culture, we could have a healthy debate of ideas, thoughts, theologies, and doctrines. But it used to be that, that, that Nate and I could have a disagreement. And if we don't know each other, if we're on opposite sides of something, we could have a disagreement. We could talk. And I could not be convinced, and I couldn't, and I maybe not convince him, but I'm like, I, I think I'm right, but I know him as a reasonable man, and so um, I, hopefully one day I'll convince him, but he's got some ideas. But where we've gone, political, educational, even, even, even things about justice, we've gone to this spot where I think I'm right, and if you disagree with me, you must be evil. Sad. It's so sad that we can't be in dialogue. At this point, it's just a dialogue, but they go where we go. The cultures have not changed that much. They do what we do. And so I'm asking you to put yourself in the place of the victim who's now been healed and the villains as they develop in their story. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was you, it was your eyes he opened. So, okay, we, he, if, if, if he's healing on the Sabbath, that's work. Now, it's not much work. He went, picked up, boom, that's a whole lot of work right there. But 
okay, he's a sinner, so he can't be from God because he works on the Sabbath. Yeah, but it was a miraculous sign. It did good for someone. He, he, he has to be from God. So they can't answer the question. So they turn to the one who knows nothing other than I was blind. He put mud in my eye. He told me to wash. Now I see. What do you think? The man replied, he's the prophet. And the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? Listen to these words. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? You see, the, 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 see what happened? It doesn't fit their paradigm. It doesn't fit their, their ideas. It doesn't fit how God's supposed to work. God's in their box, and if it's outside of the box, it can't be of God. So here's this miraculous thing that happened. God is actually working in this man's life. He's done a, a miracle in this man's life. I have a friend, Tim, Tim I'm not going to use his last name, who years ago, his second, he was diagnosed a second time with stage four lymphoma. And his wife said, no, nope, we're not doing this again. So she gathered people from church. We all prayed. We laid hands on him. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that when she prayed for him, I just know her heart. Um, and, and I heard it when, when she prayed, God said, okay. So they had put the port in his, in his chest. I mean, he, he's got cancer. And they demand another test. Cancer's gone. And you know what Christian said? Man, it it's too bad you went through all that. They should have been sure before they put that port in. So there's no way that God could have done a miracle. It's only that the, that the pragmatic and the scientific piece, they must have made a mistake. So this man who has a miracle from God is being challenged for what God has done in his life. He doesn't get to rejoice with his brothers and sisters in Christ. In a way, he's accused, or at least the doctors are. That's what this man is going through. So they, come, they bring his parents in. We know that he's our son, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. Now, look, imagine yourself in this situation. You just had, you had an encounter with Jesus. You're healed. You've never seen before. You're seeing your parents for the first time ever. And they're with the good religious solid, the seminary professors, the classist leaders, the, 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 the elders and the deacons of a church. I mean, they, they've, they know their stuff. They're trustworthy men. I'm not coming down on them, but they just, they can't see what God is doing. And when this man sees his parents for the very first time ever, they throw him under the bus. Yep, he's our kid. Yep, he was blind. How he can see that, I don't know. Ask him. Because they're afraid that they're going to be ostracized. So they allow him to be at risk of being ostracized. A second time, they summoned the man who had been, who had been blind. Get, watch this. Give glory to God. We know this man, meaning Jesus, is a sinner. So the religious... Good religious people have decided we can't explain it, therefore it can't be God, even though God is inexplicable. 
And they say, you have to choose. You're either godly or you're a sinner. You have to choose between giving glory to the Father or giving glory to the Son. But what they say is, you give glory to the Father by rejecting the Son. Reject Jesus to be good and religious. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, and by the way, I love this guy. Um, he, he's just, he knows what he knows. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. But they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to, be his, to become his disciples too? I don't think I'd have this kind of guts. I really don't. I love this guy. But think, that, imagine if I, for some reason, some way, I got brought up on charges in classes. And it was because I was proclaiming something I believe was from Scripture, but they all said no. And, and I get in there and they're like, we understand that when you were in hungry, you learned this about God. And I'm not so sure that that's what, da, da, da. And I, what, I mean, can you imagine having the kind of guts to go, why do you want to know? Do you want to go to hungry too? He's just sticking it to him. And I, I got to say, I respect this man. I, I, maybe it's not good to poke at authority, but, but this man knows what happened. They're trying to condemn him and Jesus. And he's going, whatever. I was blind, I can see. Why do you want to know? They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now notice this. The man who knows nothing, he's been a beggar. And because he's steeped in sin from birth, he's not allowed in the synagogue. He can be in the outer courts, but he can't go in. He can't worship like the rest of them. These teachers are condemning and hurling insults at him, and he becomes their teacher. He knows enough to call them on their stuff. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where this man comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Condemning, not caring. Beating him down, not lifting him up. Judging him, not empowering him. I know you would never do something like that, but let me just tell you a story. A friend of mine, Chad. Years ago, I was a youth pastor, and he was, my, he was my, one of my students. He was in seventh grade. He went to school and brought something. His dad had been a cop. He knows right and wrong. He'd been raised up in the church. He'd gone to the, the, the schools where they teach you about God all the time. Um, but he is also seventh grade, and he liked to get attention like seventh grade boys do. And so he took something from his father's liquor cabinet, and he brought it, and he put it in his locker. And as kids were coming through, he'd call out the cool kids, and he'd say, hey, look what I got. And he would open it up. Now, it's wrong. And one of the kids did the right thing, and they told the principal that Chad had this bottle of liquor in his locker. And he got called into the principal's office. His parents were called in, and he, you know, he, he was crying and, and, and all the stuff that you would hope to see a kid do. And it was just, you know, was he really going to drink it? I don't know. I knew, I knew Chad back then, maybe. 
But here's what happened. He got suspended with the threat of expulsion, and he turned around. Seventh grade, as much as seventh grade kid can, he realized that what, he'd done, what he had done was not smart, not wise, and not Christian. And so he, he started focusing on his faith. And by the time he got to high school, he turned around. But the good religious people had decided that he's the kind of kid you don't want your daughter dating. He's the kind of friend you don't want your, your boys hanging out with. He's a bad seed. And you know, sad, but they didn't treat him like Scripture says to treat him. And I watched it happen. For two years, it just tore him up. See, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if someone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He made a mistake. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But because of that, when he showed up in high school, he was the kid that, that everyone's supposed to stay away from. The teachers treated him differently. The administrators treated him differently. The parents treated him differently. And the students treated him differently. Because everyone knew he's a pariah, stay away. And you know what he did? He lived down to the expectations people had of him. He, if I'm a bad kid, I might as well go do bad things. And no one ever would do such a thing, right, guys? We have none of this in us. Like years ago when cell phones had to, were in a bag, when they were analog and actually it was part of a cellular system, I was coming back from Lansing and from a meeting, and I had my um, Microsoft StarTac flip phone with a huge battery that sat on my belt. And I decided I got signal coming near Grand Rapids on 96, and I was in I had a Toyota Tercel wagon, and, and it was in, I, w- I didn't get out of second gear for an hour because it was just put, 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 along, not because of the car, because of the traffic and construction. And I do the smart thing as a husband. I, re- I told Lynn I'd be home around five and I call and, and I say, hey, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to be about an hour late. I didn't, I didn't explain yet, but here's what she said. I'm going to tell you how she said it and then I'm going to tell you how I heard it. But you, you, I, I thought you said you'd be home at five. Here's how I heard it. You said you'd be home at five. So this is, I'm sure, guys, this would never happen to you. This, you don't have any of this in your heart, any of this in your soul at all. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm in trouble for something I have no control over. I might as well go see a movie. <laughs> right? Because you're laughing, I know that there's something in there. But just tell your spouse that it's just you're laughing at me, okay? We tend, if someone pushes us down, we think we're not worth any more than that. And so we live down to expectations. But if someone lifts us up, it might give us something to aspire to. Someone's going to aspire to the expectations that, people, that other people have. They'll either aspire to lower things or higher things. This man, this man was being repudiated, condemned, and judged for receiving a miracle from God. Now, you would never do this, I'm sure, but don't you... A little, here's the exhortation. It's not a condemnation. It's an exhortation. It's a, it's a reminder to put yourself in the story. Could you be like Jesus and see someone's need and meet it? I hope so. Have you been like my friend Tim who's been healed by God? He's a victim of, of, of cancer. He's healed by God. And then he becomes the victim again because people are like, oh, I don't think God really did that. It must have been something else. But have you ever been the Pharisees? Don't you size people up when you see them? It's the whole point of EBS this year, is those two fine characters, lummox humor, completely unsophisticated. And we've, people say, well, we're being kind of insensitive to a subgroup of our culture. I've never met anyone just like that, but, 
the whole point of this is to show the children that it doesn't matter what you look like, how you talk, your hygiene, or anything else. If Jesus loves you and you're following him, you got something to say. If the old is gone and the new has come in you, isn't it possible that the old is gone and the new has come in someone else? And don't you sometimes treat others by sizing them up and summoning them up? You got them figured out. You put motives on them that may or may not be theirs. You lump them in with another group. This man was lumped in with the sinners. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus heard that they had, that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He's still clueless. He doesn't really know what's, what, what's happened for him. Who is he? Tell me so I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you've, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Lord, I believe. And then he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for this, you don't hear this very often, but Jesus said, for judgment I've come into the world. So that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were there heard him, heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? Listen to this. If you were blind, you'd not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. A philosopher, existentialist philosopher turned theologian, Soren Kierkegaard, put that quote this way. There are two types of people in the world. There's the righteous who know their sin. And there's the sinners who think they're righteous. Which one are we? Which one are you? Are you caring or condemning? Are you building up and pushing down? Are you judging or empowering? See, here's the thing. We'll finish up with this. The blood of Christ is sufficient to forgive me my sin against him and against others. That's why he came. We just walked through the gospel of Mark. That's what we, the blood of Christ is sufficient to make the old go away and the new to arrive. The blood of Christ is sufficient in me to change who I was into who God wants me to be. I hate it when someone from my high school or from my fraternity comes to church here. Because in my head, I put motives on them because they have to be saying, really? <laughs> we knew you when fill in the blank. I saw you do fill in the blank. I was with you when you did. And they're right. They're right. But the blood of Christ is sufficient. And I've been made new. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But the old is gone. But what about you? Do you see other people and only remember? I remember what you did. Who do you think you are? You might not say it, but don't you think it sometimes? See, if the blood of Christ is sufficient to forgive you your sins against God and others, then it's also sufficient to forgive other people's sins and to transform their lives into the new. 
And here's the theological nugget for the day. If you believe that the blood of Christ is sufficient to forgive you your sins, then you must believe that the blood of Christ is sufficient to forgive someone else's sins. If you don't, then it's not sufficient for you either. The blood of Christ is either sufficient to save and transform, or it's not. There's no middle ground. Zero. None. So as a people of God, shouldn't we be asking Jesus, give me your eyes and your heart for looking at other people so that I stop summing them up and or writing them off, but I start looking for ways I can come alongside and be a part of what God is doing in their lives, even if it kind of breaks up my own paradigm. Now, there are things in Scripture that are clear. There are boundaries set up. We know some things God says, I'm not trying to protect you from pleasure, but I'm trying to protect you from pain. We understand, don't step over those lines, but if it's in there, if God's doing something, shouldn't we, shouldn't we participate with that person instead of reminding them of who they used to be? You know who else does that? The enemy. He's the accuser. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. These Pharisees did their very best in the name of God to steal this man's joy, kill his faith, and destroy his life again. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh. In fact, it's you that are trying to condemn that are guilty. Let us be the people that are on the side of Christ, not on the side of judgment. Empowerment is to come alongside and be a part of what God is already doing because we trust the Holy Spirit working in you. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, thank you that the power stayed on this service. Thank you for the fun that we can have with VBS. And thank you for how you treated this man that was born blind. Lord, I pray that you help us see where we're summing people up, where we're figuring people out, where we're missing the mark. And that you, with mercy, convict us of it. Call us to repentance. And Lord, I also ask that for everyone in the room, that somehow, someway this week, you open our eyes to a new opportunity to step in and walk alongside of someone and be a part of what you're doing in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.